You are listening to the Catholic Thinkers Podcast, a free treasury of instruction in the Catholic intellectual tradition. If you enjoy this lecture, please visit us at catholicthinkers.org forward slash donate. This course is from our International Catholic University Classics Collection, originally recorded between 1995 and 2005. In the last lecture, we saw how philosophy, in this broad sense of human reason, when it is properly used, leads to a conviction that there is one God who has created the universe out of nothing, a God who is personal, wise, and loving, and thus to a coincidence between human understanding and the revelation that was given to the Jews and has become the foundation both of Christianity and Islam, the belief in a creator God. I said also that there is some danger in what is called negative theology. It is true that God is infinitely beyond our concepts. And that point has to be constantly kept in mind. Otherwise, we fall into that sin against which the Old Testament proclaims, the sin of idolatry, where one comes to worship not the true God who exists, but one's own theories and images of God. We always have to be careful of that, not to lower the reality of God to our concepts and imaginations about him. At the same time, God wants to be known. He has revealed himself in the scriptures. He has found the images and the concepts that he knows will best convey to us his own reality. Just as when we try to make friends with someone, we try to find the words and the expressions and the gestures that will convey our identity to the other person. So God has done that. He is trying to convey his identity to us. When we open our minds to his creation, and use our faculties of knowing, especially our intelligence, we will see him in his creation as in a mirror. An artist is reflected in his work, and God is reflected in the universe he has made. The progress of human knowledge that has gone on in history, imperfect as it is, and as fragile as it is, nevertheless has shown us, as it has developed, more and more about the wisdom and the goodness of God. It is special to the Christian religion, however, to know that God has not simply revealed himself through creation. His ultimate revelation of himself is through Jesus Christ, the incarnation, the word made flesh, made like us in all but sin. 
St. John of the Cross, a great mystic whose writings are full of negative theology, his famous saying is, nada, nada, not this, not that, trying to say to us that God is beyond every image and conception, also tells us that God has revealed himself in his Son, Jesus Christ, that God has only one word, and he has spoken it in Jesus Christ. There is nothing more to be said because God has said it all in Jesus. God's revelation of himself, therefore, was finished with the life of Jesus and those people who he had chosen to be his immediate witnesses and the witnesses of his resurrection. It is through them that we have the word of God, that it is still with us. You know, that happened 2,000 years ago. It was the central event of history, the clue to what God is doing in history. Otherwise, as I've said, history would be a mystery to us, just one damn thing after another. But in fact, it makes sense once we see that the central event of all of history, no matter how long we have been on this earth as humanity, and no matter how long our future is, the central event took place 2,000 years ago. And it is what gives sense to every other event in history. It happened in the town of Bethlehem, or rather Nazareth, when Mary said, let it be done to me according to your word. And the word was made flesh. Then God revealed himself in all his glory, and yet he revealed himself in a human being exactly like us. It's been a fashion since Vatican II to emphasize a Christology from below. And there's a good reason for that. Sometimes people have fallen into the error that is called monophysitism, thinking of Jesus as God but somehow explaining away his humanity. He becomes then a kind of pale ideal and rather than a flesh and blood human being. And that is a great mistake because if that were true, then the incarnation would not be so central to the Christian faith and what is so unique to Christianity would disappear. It's essential to think of Jesus as one of us, and therefore a Christology from below. However, Jesus, though he is one of us, is also the Son of God. He is God. We can't separate in Jesus the Christ from above and the Christ from below. They're the same Christ the same person with two natures, a divine nature and a human nature. That's the very point of our faith, 
And when we minimize one or the other, we are not understanding what God is saying to us. We must see Jesus in both his natures, his divine nature and his human nature. But how is that possible? How can we possibly put those two things together? God is infinite. The human being is finite. How can finite being and infinite being be joined? Well, of course, that is a mystery beyond our full comprehension. But it has been one of the great achievements of a philosophical theology to find a way to show that this is not contradictory. It can't be proved because it is a truth of faith, of revelation, which we cannot prove by reason. But what reason can do, and here is where philosophy assists theology, is to show that it is not contradictory, that it is not an absurdity, as it seems to many. To Jews and to Muslims, it seems absurd to say that God has become man. And yet we believe it. And so we must be able to show philosophically that it is not a contradictory idea. How does St. Thomas Aquinas do this? And I'm not saying his is the only Christological explanation. I'm just saying, I'm just using him as a great example of how reason can help in this matter. Remember that we said that in God, essence and existence are identical. That means that God is the I am, the one who necessarily exists. But in creation, all created things have a di distinction between essence and existence because their nature does not make it necessary that they exist. I'm a human being with a human nature. And when I consider what human nature is, I realize that there could have been a world in which there were no human beings. I'm not necessary. I've come about by a series of events none of which might have occurred. My parents might never have met. They did, me, and here I am. But it's not necessary. And so in the created order, there is a distinction between essence and existence. When we speak, therefore, then of the incarnation of Jesus, we are saying that there is one existent person who is the Son of God, divine, in whom essence and existence are identical. And he has taken on a human nature, an essence. But since that human nature or essence is distinct from its existence, his divine existence 
takes the place of what in us would be a human existence. Jesus has only one existence, but two natures. And there is no contradiction in this, because we see that in created things, there is a distinction between essence and existence, while in God, there is not. And so in Christ, there is one person, because person names that which exists, but with two natures, a divine nature, a human nature, two essences. Now, of course, people have a difficulty about that. If you say that Jesus is not a human person, but a divine person, <laughs> they say, well, then he's not a human being. That's because the term person, as we use it in ordinary language today, is not very precise. It's only when we analyze the term person carefully and see exactly what we mean by person, which is the identity, the unity of a human being, that we can see that person is not the same thing as nature. And therefore, it is not contrary or contradictory to say that Jesus is not a human person, yet he is entirely a human being like us in every respect as regards his nature, but not as regards his existence, his ultimate reality which is divine. We're not looking, therefore, when we look at Jesus, at a human being and a divine being who are just loosely connected with each other, but at one single person having a human and divine nature. When we think of that, we are overcome with awe at the mystery of God's condescension to take on himself a nature other than his own, a merely created nature, a body that can live and die, a soul and mind that can suffer and that can learn. Jesus, in his human nature, learned as a child does. He had to learn to speak language from his parents. He had to grow up, as St. Luke says. He had to grow up just as a child does. He has to experience everything that a child experiences in his human nature, while at the same time, he is a divine person. And that means, on the other hand, that the divine person suffers in his human nature. How can God, who is the necessary being, suffer, suffer on the cross, die? How can God die? Well, he really is. Not in his divine nature, but in his human nature. And it is the same person. It is the person of the Son of God who was born like we are 
as a single-celled creature, developed in the womb of his mother, grew up as we do, learned as we do, experienced and suffered as we do, and this person was God, and is God, and will be God forever. This is the mystery of Christology. We can meditate on it and should meditate on it and pray about it endlessly. But philosophy can help us to see the wonder of it. We hear those words so many times, we recite them in the liturgy of the Eucharist, and yet we often do not really stop to think of the wonder that they involve. It is when we begin to see that they don't seem to make sense, that they seem to be contradictory, that we begin to think about them. And then as we begin to think about them, we will begin to have some kind of understanding, and our understanding will grow. Now, it's important to realize that in trying to know God, we need to love him too. When we try to know another human person, to understand them, we have to have empathy for them. We have to somehow get in their skin, stand in their shoes. We have to become them, become another person. We do that partly by talking with them, but also by imagination. We put ourselves in their place. We try to imagine things and see things from their perspective. There's a great effort in that. And that effort is facilitated by love. If we love the other person, we want to understand them. And even when they do things that we don't like and we don't understand, we forgive and we try to see, well, why would he say that? Why would he do that? Friendship is this entering into the other person, as it were. And it requires love. And one strange thing about it is that our love can be greater than our understanding. We can't love another person without some understanding, but our love can exceed our understanding. And in fact, I think it has to exceed our understanding because it's what motivates our effort to understand the other better. It's because we love them that we want to know them better. As we know them better, our love grows, expands, deepens, and it leads then to a lot of thought and consideration, the more perfect empathy. That's what friendship is about. That is what God is saying to us in the scriptures and in the incarnation. He is saying, I want you to know me, and therefore I want you to love me, because 
As you love me, you will open yourself up to me and you will begin to be able to understand what before was simply unintelligible. Because you love me, you will understand. In the history of theology, medieval theology, there were two traditions that still have their effect on modern theology. They came out of the two great mendicant orders that were founded in the 13th century by St. Francis of Assisi and St. Dominic, whose order I am so privileged to be a member of. St. Francis put his emphasis on love. And the theology that was developed in the Franciscan school, especially by the great doctor of the church, St. Bonaventure, is a theology of love. On the other hand, in the Dominican order, the emphasis was on understanding, intelligence. And the great doctor was St. Thomas Aquinas. These two doctors knew each other, and St. Thomas Aquinas is said to have said, well, St. Bonaventure, could be canonized tomorrow. He's a living saint. So they appreciated each other. And yet students of their works tell us that there are hidden references in the work of each to the other because they didn't altogether agree. On certain points, they came at the thing from a different perspective and were not of quite the same mind. And yet, they were friends and saints. I mention that because it's very important to understand that in the church, there are different theologies. Only one faith, because faith comes from God. But there are different theologies, or human formulations and expressions and understandings of that one faith. There can be false theologies, but there also can be several theologies that are true, as were the theology of these two great doctors approved by the church, Bonaventure and Aquinas. We have to say that on the whole, both of their theologies are wonderful understandings of the faith and are true, but they come from different perspectives. One from the perspective of love, yet a love that seeks understanding, and the other from the perspective of understanding that seeks to understand in order to love. They're complementary to each other, not contradictory. Back of those are two philosophical traditions. Aquinas is fundamentally a theologian of the Aristotelian persuasion. Although he incorporates into his Aristotelian-designed theology a great deal from the Platonic tradition. And vice versa with St. Bonaventure. St. Bonaventure is fundamentally in the Platonic philosophical tradition. In it there, it's a bit easier to express the notion of love that ascends constantly to God. And yet he tried to incorporate 
Aristotelian elements into his theology. That's the kind of theology we need, a theology which appreciates the different achievements of human reason and uses them from somewhat different perspectives to arrive at a richer knowledge of the truth. Nevertheless, that doesn't mean that we should simply be content to accept one view against the other. We should always work beyond these differences to a more unified theology in which all of these achievements of truth are brought together in some single synthesis. That is what Pope John Paul II is urging in Faith and Reason when he tells us that we need to use reason and especially metaphysics, the unification of human reason, to develop our theology. If we don't do that, we end up with a very one-sided view of God's revelation of himself. And of course, we want to know God as God is, as he is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God as he is the Father revealed in creation, the Son as he has taken on our human nature and lived with us, and then the Holy Spirit as he has been sent from the Father through the Son to form the Christian community, the beginning of the kingdom of God, the church. And in my final lecture of this series, I will speak of that body of Christ, which is the church. We hope you enjoyed listening to Catholic Thinkers. Please visit us at catholicthinkers.org forward slash donate to help us keep this content free.